BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. This episode is sponsored by Hero Power. Support clean energy at no extra cost. Go to MyHeroPower.com and in less than two minutes, get Green E certified renewable energy certificates. They'll match 100% of your electricity use. Never pay more than ComEd rate. Your bill doesn't change. Your service doesn't change. Plus, get $25 off your first bill just for helping us fight climate change. Go to MyHeroPower.com. MyHeroPower.com This has become my favorite segment of the week. Every week, I get to talk about my beloved Chicago Bulls. Dennis allows me to talk Bulls. Uh, That's very nice of you, Dennis. Usually, he's very strict. Will not let me talk sports. You're welcome. Even though I'm a sports junkie, the argument being it's a political uh, talk show. Uh, the uh, Last Dance is a show I've been obsessing over, and every week I bring on a different guest to talk about it, a guest who uh, is also obsessing over. And so today I'm bringing on the great Stacy Davis Gates. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thank you. How are you? How's everyone in your family? We are doing okay. Thanks for asking. Touch wood. Hold on. I'm knocking on wood. Uh, Stacy. I'm doing the show. We've been doing the show, as you know, out of my attic, overlooking the alley, and there's a porta potty in the backyard, or not my backyard, the next door neighbor's backyard. So it's not the greatest of views, but uh, I have nothing to complain about. Why do about. they have a porta potty? Well, excellent question. And uh, <laughs> that's because there's some kind of construction going on or was going on. Oh, the segment where Ben snitches on his neighbors. Here we go. <laughs> Don't tell Lori, okay? <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so, but I'm sure they have permits and, uh, I'm sure it's all legal. Uh, although yesterday there was uh, a couple of people in the back there by the porta potty, Stacy, were not really doing a good job of social distancing. I just want to say, um, now our longtime, uh, listeners know that Stacy comes on all the time to talk politics, uh, city politics, state politics, national politics. Uh, but we're not going to talk politics, or we'll probably get pol- political in this discussion. We're going to talk about the last dance, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, and growing up in the 90s, something that Stacey Davis Gates knows because she's basically a 90s kid. Uh, is that right, Stacey? I am a 90s kid. Like, watching, can I be honest with you? Like, I love Sunday. It is such a departure from everything um, that is, quote, grown up in my life and series right now. Um, I am, like, going back, I was seeing the Gatorade commercial um, with them 
you know, last week because it was on Sunday. So I was earlier this week. It, it was, it's just so good to be able to say, I remember this game. The I remember the Portland game that they had in Chicago where he just could not miss. Like, I was getting my hair braided. I was on my way to the state finals. I was a freshman in high school, on my way to state finals. I was getting my hair braided watching that game. I remember the game he played against the Lakers where in midair he switches from his right to left hand. And I, I remember where I was sitting in the living room watching that game with my family. Like, the memories are so, like, clear and concrete. And it's, it's just been amazing to have that nostalgia, to remember who you were, you know, how formative um, that time period was with respect to, like, materialism I ain't know it like I know it now um but you know I can't identify I cannot identify it then in the way that I identify it now heck I remember my first pair of Jordan um I was in middle school um they were the fours and um they were the white and blue ones the Carolina blue ones because our school colors were blue and orange and you know I was good so and I was the and I was a guard, so I controlled the ball. I scored the most points, and I had on Jordan. I, I probably was um, vain enough at that point to even wear 23. I gotta go look at some old like uh, team photos to see. <laughs> but yeah, no, it just feels good to be back in the comfort of my youth. Yeah. All right. Well, well let's let's take a little deep dive into this. Um, I don't think we've ever had a discussion of, of your biography, where you come from, where you grew up. Uh, I, I, usually we just jump right into the political issues. So let's talk about this. You're from South Bend, Indiana. You're, we, yeah. uh, and we've talked about this when your brother first came on the show, because he's still a councilman in South Bend, Indiana. You still have family in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, yeah. And uh, so... Talk about your upbringing. Were you always into sports? Did you have a father that taught you basketball? Uh, were you that kind of girl? Oh, yeah. Like, I have, like, all of, so on my dad's side, it's a very strongly, like, male-oriented, like, family. Um, all of these six-foot and over um, men who are athletic, who play basketball, um, and then on my mother's side, it's three girls and a boy. And my uncle, he played basketball, too. In fact, um, he played against Scott Scouts in high school. They both had, like, Plymouth and South and LaSalle were the two premier teams in Indiana at that time. So, like, I literally remember watching Scott Scouts shoot the life out of the gym during a semi-state um, as a little girl. Um, yeah, it's been a part of my life, period. Did you – did it – did you just gravitate gravitate to basketball on your own, Stacy, or did someone lead you to basketball? So we basketball were always around the house. My dad played in summer league. We were always at basketball games. I, it was it was just natural. It wasn't that someone put it in my hand as much as the ball was always there. So why wouldn't it be in my hand? Mm -hmm. But you loved it. What was it about the game that you loved? I, you know, the older retrospect is the competitiveness of it. Like, I really dig competition. Um, the ability to work, to practice, to work hard, to train, to get to a point of where you're mono-e-mono -e -mono with another team, presumably doing the same team, 
and kicking butt like that that there's a there's an energy there's an adrenaline rush to that that is like unmatched like i i miss it <laughs> well like i say at many times in the show i'm looking forward to the one-on-one match between uh, stacy davis gates and Lori lightfoot all right before uh but i said <laughs> uh <laughs> hey anytime i'll uh, i'll set it up all right uh <laughs> So did you have the kind of dad that my daughters had uh, where I made them play uh, in against boys? Because my attitude was, if you're really going to learn this game, you got to play against boys. And also the reality was I was the coach, and so I was coaching a boys team, so they played on, on those teams. Uh, did you have that kind of upbringing, or do you, did you play against girls always? The only people on the playground at the time were boys. Like I didn't grow up in a time period like girl, like uh, females have now, mm-hmm. where you can go to a. There's all female like rec leagues now. Like that wasn't the reality in the late '80s and the early '90s when I was coming of age. We didn't have that, so the only people that you played against were guys. Um, and I had a cousin, my older cousin, who also loved basketball. And she and I would be the only two girls on the court all day. And so uh, did you get harassed in any way or did they just accept you? Um, It was both. Like, so acceptance came from your ability to play well. um, And we played well. So we got it that way. But you had to demonstrate, like you actually had to get on the team to be able to demonstrate it first. Uh, You know, some people thought it was novel. Let's see what she's doing. Like, I would love, you know, getting picked up reluctantly because there was no one else, you know, for them to pick up because, you know, you were choosing teams. You just didn't get on a team. You know, you had the two people who were choosing teams and inevitably um, the, the, the females are being chosen last. Yeah. So you get out there and whomever is checking you, they ain't really checking you, right? Because they don't have to. You're a girl. So, you know, you hustle to get the ball in your hand and you hustle to do something with the uh, ball so, you know, you can stay on the court for one because you really want to play. But two, you know, it's disrespectful not to guard me. It's, it's disrespectful. So you got to put the ball in the air and it's got to hit the bottom of the net. And then you got to say something about it. Like, I'll see you the next, I'll see you the next <laughs> And then you got to call for the ball. Yeah. So, no, like, so toughness. Like the eleven day strike, I, I just remember like all of my lessons from athletics being so like um, clear to me in that moment. Your ability, resilience, um, you know, just the way that you have to motivate yourself and and find you know the thing in itself to you, you focus in on the competition when you're playing you you can take a couple of shots as long as you can give them back and so those were the things that really reminded me of quote my power during the strike reminded me of oh they could get a couple good runs in and you still got to come back to the other end of the court right those are lessons that you learn like, you get a turn, and I get a turn. I just got to have enough good runs to win. That's yeah. basketball. Yeah, it's a game of runs. Now, all right, I'm going to expose one of my greatest frustrations when I introduce the game of basketball to uh, girls, and I'd love to get your reaction to this. And again, I'll preface this. 
always had co-ed basketball, always had girls playing with boys because I didn't, I never did, I never believed in separating the girls from the boys at an early age when it came to sports. So one thing that really irritated me about girls, Stacy, when I introduced the game of basketball to them was, you know how it is with little kids when they're in the court, every kid is yelling for the ball. When they, when they first introduced mm-hmm. the game to them, like when they're in second grade or first grade, they just give me the ball, give me the ball. And girls would pass the ball. And I would be like, why? Yeah, did you- I didn't do that. Okay. I, I didn't do that. Because <laughs> you can't, like, remember, contextualize it for me now. When I'm on the court at my age, we're the only two females on the court. So if I'm passing them the ball and not going in for the shot to, quote, prove I have the skill, it, and the competitive drive to be out there, I'm not going to be able to play anymore. So I have to, like, I got to have the ball in order to prove I can stay on the court. Like, that was a requirement. So, no, I ain't passing you back the ball. In fact, like, and I'm short, too. So I'm going to even go and grab a couple rebounds and, and, and get a couple easy layups, too. Like, you are really hustling because you're proving Every time you step out on the playground, you're proving it. Because inevitably, there are new boys on the court. And you got to prove it to the new boys, even though you have someone who can validate you. They like, man, whatever. You probably like, them. you know what I'm saying? So you have to, like, you have to start all over again. So passing the ball means you might not get it back. Yeah. So why you so you don't do that? Uh, here, here. Uh, I agree with that one 100%. Uh, especially, just don't pass the ball because a boy asks you to do it. That's the first thing. When a boy, just because a boy asks you to do something doesn't mean you have to do it. That's like life. Man. A boy, a girl, anyone. I'm shooting. <laughs> I'm shooting, and then if it doesn't go in, uh, I'm still shooting. That's the other lesson. All right, let's tie this up. Uh, all- a shooter, then you know a shooter shoots. Mm-hmm. Like you, 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 a shooter shoots. You can't, you can't stand in the way of a shooter getting his or her rhythm. I that is absolutely true, and uh, one of the the so far my personal disappointments with this. Uh, documentary not nearly enough love for my second favorite bull during the first run and that would be mr craig hodges from the three-point line unafraid to shoot at any time give me the ball oh he always had that way he would be like vibrating he wanted the ball so bad stacy you know what i'm saying he has not been given any time on this i don't believe he's been interviewed well yeah I think that that was actually the fault of the uh, documentary, uh, the the two hours last Sunday, is when they started talking about, like, the politics. Craig Hodges showed up to the George Bush White House in a daishiki, like a legit daishiki from the motherland daishiki, right? He had a very clear way of dealing with race politics and was unafraid to share his thoughts about it. Like, that should have been a part of it. And I was also surprised that they didn't delve into why Jordan didn't attend. Like, when I was reading, and I almost, and I do believe it was Craig Hodges' book, like, for people who've read it and I get this wrong, don't kill me. But I think it was Craig Hodges' book, his, um, his, his biography that I was reading, that said that Jordan actually had political issues with George Bush in the direction of the country which is why he declined to go, but because he was, quote, Madison Avenue, he kept it to himself. I just thought that the documentary, if that's true, obviously, missed an opportunity to explore both Craig and and, and to contrast that with Jordan at the time. 
All right, we'll get into the politics of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. We will get into a political discussion about that uh, and the 1992 visit to the White House. Uh, yes, just b- briefly, uh, obsessive Bulls fan that I am, uh, Michael Jeffrey Jordan skipped the White House uh, meeting where the Bulls all went to the White House to meet with George Bush. I think this would have been after the second uh, championship. I want to say it was maybe it was the first one. Uh, the, the the times are coming together. The timeline is coming together. No, it would have been after the first one. And that's where Craig Hodges yeah, showed and- up with the dashiki. That's where Craig Hodges right. gave a letter to George Bush, in which he talked about what George Bush his should be doing to help uh, Black America, which was uh, taking the uh, as always the brunt of Republican economic uh, programs. And uh, as a result, he was shunned by the NBA. And I believe he was unfairly treated by the NBA. Craig Hodges was not allowed to participate in three-point shooting contests after he was retired, was effectively blacklisted. I could go on and on about how they uh, unfairly treated Craig Hodges. But Jordan missed the thing because he said he wanted to be with his family, but he was actually golfing with uh, one of his gambling pals. That later came out. So they kind of... Missed a lot of opportunities with that White House um, segment, Stacey. All right, let's talk about let's talk about uh, what uh, before we get into the politics of it. How what the Bulls meant to you as a a a young kid growing up in Indiana. Now you're in Indiana. You're in South Bend. Why weren't you a Pacers fan? Why were you a Bulls fan? You can't cheer for Reggie Miller. You have to cheer for Michael Jordan. I mean, Reggie was bad, but. Chicago's closer to South Bend. It's like, what, an hour and 15 minutes away, an hour and a half away. Indianapolis, that's almost, what, 245, two two hours, 45 minutes, something like that. You're closer to Chicago. You feel Chicago more. And like I told you before, like, I have family in Chicago. If not but for job opportunities, I could have grown up in Chicago. It just so happened that my grandmother and my grandfather, different sides of the family tree, um, both ha- got jobs in South Bend before they were they got the ones that they wanted in Chicago. So we ended up in South Bend. All right. So you're a Bulls fan. Were you aware of the political ramifications of Michael Jordan? Uh, did you even think about politics in those days, or are you just in love with Michael Jordan and the Bulls? Well, I do remember the Senate candidate in um, North Carolina. Um, Gantt, I, I do Harvey remember Gant, yeah. that, but yep, it wasn't as sharp to me today. I mean, yep, then as it is obviously to me today. Plus, it was Michael Jordan. Like, the reality that, quote, your heroes catch breaks is not an understatement. Um, and two, because most of your heroes are worshiped by young people who haven't felt the full ramifications of politics either. It gives them a shield. And so, and that's what it was for me. Like, yeah, you get it. Um, as, as I started getting older, you know, on the precipice of college, you know, you do start to ask questions why people with such megaphones don't call attention to the issues like people that look like them. You know, the whole question of, you know, uh, poor black kids being shot over Jordan was, you know, a big deal. I do remember thinking that that was unfair of a, that was such an unfair burden for him to carry alone. I didn't think it was just him, but no, I've always had a critical eye 
And I would say that I also like Michael Jordan, you know, so you kind of also didn't see him as the role model. You remember the Charles Barkley, um, it was a Nike commercial. I'm not a role model. Mm-hmm. And if I'm your role model, it's something wrong with your parents some stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it was heavy on consumerism. It was heavy on deflecting. Um, and honestly, I don't think our leaders, like Michael Jordan could not be Michael Jordan with Twitter and um, woke Twitter, black Twitter um, today. Like it, it would be impossible. The ability to track, you know, behavior, um, statements, um, you know, the, the availability of issues to take stands on. Like Michael Jordan's star could only rise when it did. Um, we did not have a 24-hour news cycle in the way that we have it today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the interview we did with Ahmad Rashad with the shades on. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many memes that would have been? Yeah. Um, like minutes after it was done, like he he his ascent and the time period in which he ascended gives him a gave him a tremendous amount of power that lacked like criticism from black people. Uh, when you saw the documentary last uh, Sunday, when they dealt with his uh, failure to endorse Harvey Gantt over Jesse Helms in the, the Senate race. Jesse Helms was just an out-and-out racist. Uh, no question about he it. He said, did you hear him? Like, they played the clip from election night when he said it wouldn't be any cheer in the Mudville tonight. Yeah. It was just sick. Like, that was easy for Mike. Like, I get, like, where his head was then, how big his ego probably was and still is. Um, you, you know, and not being, like, necessarily tethered to like politics in that way because he's living a rarefied existence and that one was easy like Helms was like he's just a, a racist like a racist period like and people are going to be mad at you because you stand up against the racist you know you know I don't know I don't know who was in Mike in a circle I don't know who was advising against I don't know even how well Mike listened to people either um and then here's the other thing that we don't explore a lot with athletes um i don't know how many ways his checks were divided meaning how many like people he was taking care of right because he was a business himself and i don't know like how many aunts and uncles cousins friends parents sisters brothers nieces nephews that you know, he was actually responsible for it too because that gives people pause. Not saying that it obviously gives me pause because I talk too much, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm aware that it gives you know people pause. Not in defense of it, but you know, providing some context. Well, let me just put this uh, out there to just demolish what you just said. Uh, and I know this from memory, and I also know it from the show itself. Michael Jordan said this. His mother, Mrs. Jordan asked Michael to make the uh, PSA for uh, Harvey Gantt. So <laughs> his mom is a good Democrat, okay? And so I'm, I'm not blaming the family. I think that was Michael Jordan's decision. Uh, that's, I'm throwing that out there because I remember him saying his mom had asked him to do it. And, and that was and my- did you see the dance? 
that uh, the president, uh, Obama, did with him and for him in that explanation. Look, I'm with you, Ben. I don't excuse it. I'm yeah. just, you know, throwing that out there. I, I just think that was an easy one. That wasn't hard. It's almost like you are saying no to KKK and yes to the brother. Yeah. Like, that's easy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't think of any player in the NBA right now, and you can maybe help me with this uh, before, after I say it, uh, Stacy. who is, uh, a, 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 let me amend this, any black player in the NBA who is unafraid to criticize Trump. I mean, it, it's it's not exactly profiling courage, okay, to, to criticize Trump. The man's a <laughs> lunatic. All right, I just want to start off with that. All right, I'm not. It's not like I'm a. But I think of all the great players in the NBA, and they feel free to criticize. Uh, I'm going to uh, let's see off the top of my head. Um, uh, LeBron James, D Wade. Well, D Wade uh, is no longer in the NBA. Uh, Curry. Steph Curry has criticized him. Then we get into the coaches. Uh, Steve Curry is. Well, you had whole go to states and even go and visit. Like that's a universal rebuke for the most part. Yeah. Um, and it isn't a profile in courage. And um, athletes have gotten to the point of owning their business. Like, look, I ain't giving Mike passes. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm very critical even today of his voice and like their ability to flex their power and their muscle is due in large part to this man creating space for them to be their own business as an individual. So, you know, you have this thing where every generation should um, be able to, have a bit more freedom and flexibility and power than the generation before them. And so I expect that to happen. Plus the profile of the NBA players is different from the profile that George, like you remember early in the documentary, he comes home and he's talking to mom and dad about getting cut from the team. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, you just got to work harder. That's it. And move on. You know, um, you have the stories of so many other athletes who are growing up on the rough side of the mountain and that their identity is forged in the same type of racial inequity that many of us, quote, regular people have to deal with. So those memories aren't distant. Like he might take a departure and talks about racism in the abstract, not as something that was like expressly personal. I imagine, obviously, that it is, and it was, but he doesn't even, like, he doesn't present that way because he was the business himself. And so, you know, look, politics and respectability are, are what they are as well with, you know, a lot of Black people, especially ones who grow up a certain way. And that's the thing that you have to fight against, that if your voice is too loud, if your message is too rough, like, I get Black people all the time telling me, baby, I appreciate what you're saying, but can you say it a little differently? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so you want me to ask them or do you want me to demand it? And so those respectability politics are something to grapple with, you know, as black people, period. And, you know, the ability of white supremacy to even convince black people that we have to ask politely as if it would still be given to us if we do is, is a big deal. But again, the documentary doesn't have that depth because the documentary in itself is just an ode to Mike. 
Yes, it is an ode to Mike. And now, and and that said, uh, we had on the show last week for this segment Steve James, who made Hoop Dreams. We were talking about uh, the differences mm -hmm. uh, between the, sort of the choices he made and the choices his filmmaker is uh, making. Uh, and clearly, this filmmaker has decided that this was going to be an ode to Mike. And um, oh gosh, Stacy, I'm going to make a revelation here. I probably shouldn't. I care to a degree but i don't care because i shared your love for what michael jordan did for my beloved bulls you know what i'm saying <laughs> so i'm always i used to have these debates um i would try follow me on this I, my, my cousin lived in detroit he was a piston fan okay so he was it was old so back in the 80s and the 90s we would argue we didn't live in, he lived outside of Troy, but he was a Pistons fan. Anyway, we would argue, he loved his little Pistons, the bad boys, and I loved the Bulls. <laughs> and so he would try to play this card to me about Jordan and uh, being apolitical, because my cousin is a real lefty, all right? And so, mm -hmm. well, you know, yeah, he's a sellout. He wouldn't even endorse Harvey Gann or something like that. And then I would, I was so desperate to defend Michael Jordan, I would say, yeah, but he didn't go to the Bush White House. He didn't go to the Bush White House. Ah, okay, that was the card. Ah. Then it came out he didn't go because he was playing golf with some. <laughs> oh, man, Michael Jordan. But I have always defended Jordan. That said, I really had trouble with the Look. documentary when with the gym shoes. Because how could you do a documentary about Michael Jeffrey Jordan, his relationship with Nike, and not talk about the utter obsession that so many black kids had with owning the, the Jordan shoes? And the destructive, all kids. all kids, but it was far more, I would say it, it would, the, the point I'm making that it was more destructive when kids are shooting each other over them or, or spending money they don't have on them. And it, but you're right. All yeah. kids, all kids wanted those. Yeah. Uh, so how can you, yeah. Stacy? how can you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, when you look back on it now, what are your thoughts about the obsession that kids in general had with, uh, what? That's capitalism. And, you know, the materialism of the 90s wasn't just, you know, confined to a pair of Jordans. Um, you know, it basically enveloped um, hip-hop at the time as well. Like, capitalism, corporate America, they always understood the spending power of Black people. They also understand our our cultural significance in making anything hot. And so it wasn't just his inability or ability to speak to it. I think it's a lot deeper in that capitalism has always commodified black culture and, you know, put high prices on something that we created and that is only hot because of us. You know, that's more democracy than just him saying, like raise, like lower the price point so working class black kids um, have an opportunity to wear my kids, right? Um, it it, it should have been, you know, why is Nike making all of this money off of the likeness, the culture, the prowess of a black man and not investing appropriately within black communities that have been ravaged by poverty? You know, yes, you would want that spokesperson to say it, and you would want the company to, quote, be a good partner. But that's not how capitalism works, especially not in America anyway. Wow. 
Uh, man, they should have interviewed you on that uh, the documentary. By the way, and it's and oh, but you saw Todd Boyd. Like they have the yeah. master on there, like Dr. Todd Boyd from USC. I just think that his. I, I, I want to see his outtake. That's actually what I would like to see because I bet you he went there. Um, because he often does go there. You, I remember ESPN used to go to him a lot and um, stopped going to him a lot because his voice is real clear uh, uh, on issues of justice and racial equity. Yeah. Well, you're right. And uh, you, he may have said that and then they just discarded it because the way it, they they presented this issue was, to your point, it was a celebration of a shrewd move that Michael Jordan made uh, to capitalize on the endorsement his deal. Mama made. Yeah, the, his, his mama made. Yeah, well, and the father, too. Let's not forget the father was there as well. <laughs> Always got to remember the father was there, uh, James Jordan. But, yes, the, his parents uh, led him to that decision, and it was a shrewd move, and he profited it enormously from it. But you're right. Every Any kind of analysis that you just made, or let's even talk about where the shoes are made. And who's okay. doing the making of the shoes? You talk about a union issue and a labor issue. They're not being made in in union plants uh, in Chicago. They're being made overseas. And the people who make the shoes aren't making are making poverty wages. They didn't. I mean capitalism. Yeah. I, I mean all of what you describe is what it is. It's exploitative. Um, it devalues those who originate it. Um, it steals from those who own it. And then they make us work like hell to our payment. Um, it's, that's what it is. And it ran as rapid as you it could in the 90s. And, you know, I think the Jordan jumps you in itself as a symbol of that. Even like all of the Facebook and, um, posts and tweets that you see before and after the documentary air, about, like, I remember my first pair of Jordans. I remember cutting grass all summer to grab them. I remember standing in line. I remember working overtime. Just all of the things that people did in order to have it because it was it, it had a cultural significance. It also had, like, the higher the price point, it has an economic significance, especially for those who don't have, like, if you don't own a home, if you don't own, if you don't have wealth, these the the gym shoes itself represented that and then some and so why wouldn't you you know work like hell or still like hell to to get a pair to at least have a representation because like having the actual symbol of wealth having the symbol of wealth is easier than having actual wealth period yeah and and uh, another point they left out they could have moved in on, but they chose not to, was alluded to in the last uh, documentary where they were quoting Charles Barkley. And I remember this so well, uh, Stacey. Uh, in 1993, when the Bulls were playing Phoenix, uh, there was a tremendous fear uh, that there would be rioting in Chicago in the aftermath of a Bulls victory. And so... I think there was rioting in 92 when the Bulls won, when they defeated uh, the Trailblazers. And there were. this is also, there have been rioting in uh, L.A. with the Rodney King riots. There have been a, a riot in uh, Miami after a police, similar to Rodney King, I think it was a police officer, had shot um, a black man on a motorcycle. The details are fuzzy in my mind. It's, we're talking about stuff that's 30 years ago. Uh, and then he was acquitted. 
Uh, so there was all this fear that there'd be rioting in Chicago. And that's what Charles Barkley was alluding to when he said there, there were boards on windows. And and then yeah, he's... Yeah, but Barkley, forget him. Like, he has not missed a beat in devaluing black women and talking about all those bootstrap arguments. His, his, his critique is either right-wingish or... It has to do with the fact that he never got a ring. So no, him. no. But the point, the point I was making was that he was alluding to something that was very real in Chicago. Like there was a lot of racial tension in the city in 1993. Uh, there, for sure. Yeah, and and that got. You know what I'm saying? That like he was talking about what? take take the shit off the windows is literally what he said. He meant take the the boards that you put up on the windows to protect the windows if people throw rocks through the windows. That's what. That's what he was sort of. Yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, I missed that one. That's a generational yeah. thing. I'm older than you, Stacy. Well, well, what, what? Because because I feel like the documentary also positioned it as a like a signifier of a sweep, and that they were going to take it, you know, in Chicago, and that you know the Suns had zero chance. That's how I took it. But you know, go 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 ahead, historian Ben, remind us. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm an old guy. All right. I, I, I'm very uh, cognizant of the clock. I know you have a meeting you got to get to, uh, but I, I want to ask you moving away. Yeah, from- but this is funner than any <laughs> meeting that I want to be. <laughs> uh, terrible to say. So uh, let's just let's move away from the political end of this, because obviously you and I share this for whatever criticisms we have with Michael Jordan from a political perspective, uh, that impulse that I had to defend him in the face of the withering critique from my left-wing cousin in Michigan, who was just a Pistons fan, uh, was because I can't thank him enough in some ways for all my irritation with his political stance. Stacy. I cannot thank him enough for six championships and what that meant to this, you know what I'm saying, this Devoted, dedicated Dude, Bulls fan. It's not just that. It's like you want to have something. Like the world is crazy. It's ridiculous. It devalues human life. It offers you zero opportunity to make mistakes and move forward. Like that is our world. That being said, like NBA on NBC on Sunday afternoons after church. That was my reality. And watching like this meta human fly through the air, like quarter after quarter, like it was a departure. It, it, it was, it was disconnected from how rotten your life was or what Monday morning would bring or whatever. You got, you, you, you got to see like greatness. And it wasn't like a highlight reel. It was like every time he touched the ball, it was a highlight. Mm-hmm. Like that was like a real thing to watch a, an entire basketball game, to watch this man steal a ball, to watch this man give a depth pass, to watch this man fly through the air and just slam the ball through that baseline. Like he, like you get that through the baseline. It's a poster, right? Yeah. And you get to experience Superman. Like in real life, that's that is something to behold. So of course, people forgave a lot because he was Superman. 
before I let you go, superheroes are just superheroes. <laughs> before I let you go, do that uh, business work. Uh, talk about. Do you have a favorite Jordan memory above them all? Um, you remember when he came back after playing baseball and he went to Madison Square Garden? Yes. And and he scored fifty five points. That was sick. It was it was just sick. It's like if you fought, if you wondered. If you did not know that this man is not a human, you know now. Like, he left and came back and murdered the Knicks. Like, in Madison Square Garden, it was, it was, it was the best thing ever. What, it was the best thing, best thing ever. What, what, what grade were you in back then? Um, I was either a junior. I think I was a senior. What year was that, 95? It was May of 95. Yeah, I was a senior. It was May of '95. Not May. It was March. Year. It was about it, no. I'm, I'm I'm two months off. It was about March of '95. Whatever, March of '95. Because they didn't they didn't because it was the Knicks and the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals that year. Yeah. The, uh, could, be, could no, you, no, 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 no. Remember? Nope. It was uh, basketball junkie time. Uh, the Orlando Magic defeated my beloved Chicago Bulls in six. Uh, Nick Anderson stole a ball from Michael Jordan. I'll never. I, I remember. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah. That, don't even remind me of that. Just between yeah. you and me, I think he followed him on the steal, but I'm just saying. Okay. Between you and me and everyone who was watching. <laughs> uh, so it was the, and then Horace Grant was on that team because he had left the Bulls, and, and the Magic mm-hmm. uh, went to the finals and they got swept by um, Houston. So the Magic made it to the finals that year, and the Bulls. It was the Magic. So was it the year before that it was uh, the Pacers and the Knicks? Yes, it in ni- to be. 1994, which I'm curious if the d- documentary goes in there. Oh, my God, I'm such a geek about the Bulls. 1994. Yeah, because you remember what Reggie Miller scored, like, what was it, 20 points in five seconds? I'm exaggerating, but you remember. Yeah, he hit the three that- baskets in a row, and then he did the choke signal yeah. to Spike Lee on the mm-hmm. side. Yeah, I remember all that. Man, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, was, yeah that, was that was 94. Yeah. That was 94. That was yeah. the year Jordan uh, sat it out. But, yeah, 50, the double five in uh, New York. I have to go with the one my favorite jordan memory and this i don't know if you would have been too young to see this one in 1989 when he hit the shot at the buzzer to beat cleveland because up until i i remember that no i I watched that game no 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 i remember that i remember that one no that was everything because that was when they finally got past cleveland cleveland was always an impediment like they were never good enough to take it, but they were good enough to always stop the Bulls and yeah. be like. And, and Ron Harper was with Cleveland at that time, and he was nice. Yeah, yeah, no, that yeah. Was, no. that's my favorite. I watched one. basketball a lot as a kid. Like that was my thing. It was I, I watched it a lot. I knew stats and new players. Um, the Elo move, like they even talk about it in, in the documentary. Ron Harper was like, that was ridiculous then. And as I'm remembering it today, it's yeah. still ridiculous. Like, yeah, that's your favorite one. That's cool. That's my number one favorite, Michael. That's because I, my whole life as a Bulls fan, I'd always ex- expected to lose. You get down to that moment, my beloved Bulls, Norm Van Leer, Bob Love, Chet Walker would get me to <laughs> get me to the point where they break my heart by losing. But this guy took us to the next level when he hit that shot. So, Stacy, I'm going to let you go because I know you got a, a lot to do. Next time you're on the show, 
I know, I know. You want to talk more basketball. Uh, but she, the woman's got work to do, as the song says. The next time you come on the show, we'll ask you all about politics, all right? Yeah, this was, this was fun, though. I really appreciate your your ability to recall how much you love them. I, I, it makes me happy. I'm smiling throughout this entire interview. Thank you, Ben. You're welcome, Stacey. Uh, have a great day. That's the great Stacey Davis-Gates. Take care, everyone. We off? All right, Stacey, go do your thing, all right? That was a blast. Hey, that was fun. Thank you for that. That that that's the... That was real fun. Maybe we'll do another it. one Thank this you. summer. Uh, is your bro- is your brother a basketball fan? 